beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you for tuning in again. We always, you know, are so appreciative of um, you guys taking the time to sit down or if you're driving, listening to these episodes. It's amazing to see. And I'm, I'm so grateful to to have you guys listening in. It means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to all the other co-hosts too. And also it means a lot to the people who are sharing their story because it's just an, another way for them to showcase and and teach a little bit what they've learned along the way. And maybe you'll you'll gain some tips on your journey. That's the plan. That's the whole point of the podcast. Uh, so if you're new to this podcast, thank you for tuning in. My name is Joshua Black. I am doing the Grief Dreams research at Brock University right now, and I, sh- I should be finished my PhD within the year, so it's a pretty exciting time for me. And so these podcasts are just another way that I get to talk about this subject, and it's just amazing. So today, we don't have Sean Ram on, so we have the one and only Jade Carling Black. Jade, how are you doing? I'm, I'm well, thank you. Good morning. Good how morning. How are you doing, Josh? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So uh, how was your night last night? <laughs> My night was good. Yeah, I actually had a grief dream last night. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. First time I dreamt of this person, they passed, transitioned last year, and um, a childhood friend of mine, I'd known him for my whole life, and um, kind, kind of a little bit anticipating when a dream would come and wondering if one would come at all, and... Um, Last night I had a dream, and I'll just share it really quick because it's super short, but we were sitting in the back seat of a taxi. I don't know what that's about, but in the back seat of a taxi, and he was on my left side, and he had his head cradled in his hands. He looked super well, like in his physical being, he looked really well. Um, I remember that distinctly, but um, he said, I miss my, my, my wife and my kids and my, and my family. And he, he left behind a wife and, and three kids and a big family. So um, he was expressing that to me. And it kind of had like a sad, a little bit of a sad feeling to it, but not, but like a loving, sad feeling. Not like a, you know, trauma, st- sorrow kind of tone to it, but um, just a lot of love. And he was expressing that, that he missed his family. So that was interesting. And then that was it. I woke up. Wow. And when you woke up, like, how did you feel? It was like, uh, did you feel it was comforting at all? I felt it was comforting because he looked well in his being and he had some health issues and stuff. So he looked, you know, he looked well, but I think the overall tone of it was sad just because I reflect a lot on the struggles that his family has gone through, his passing, and just imagining how difficult that, that is for them. You know, and ingesting, and the kids are young. Like one in particular is very young. So just them trying to make sense of all of that and navigating that, I feel, you know, I feel moved by by that. So I would I would say comforting a little bit, but more just yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not fully. I haven't fully processed. I guess the the the, the dream, but it definitely had an, an element of 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 love like deep love for his yeah and and if if in the imagery he's missing his family and his kids there's a love there right it's like a sorrow but it's Mm. a loving kind of sorrow i think that's interesting Mm -hmm. um when when did he pass so how long has it been this is your first dream of him so how long has it been um long did it take 
This is going to be, so before I had my daughter, so she was born in July, and I want to say in, I want to say in May. I want to say in May, like right before I had River. Oh, it's May. Yeah, so it's been a little bit. Yeah, so it's been under a year, just under a year? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow. And I think a lot of people, you know, why I ask that question is a lot of people get worried or they get frantic if they don't get a dream right away of someone who has died for different reasons. And so like it almost took a whole year to actually get your first one. And so be patient, you know, and I think that what that's about, be patient about it all. Sure. And I've had other situations where I didn't have it for a year or two or a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then some people like five years. So like, you know, it just, it, it kind of varies, but. It's interesting. I'd say like hopefully one day I can figure some of that stuff out through some of the research. Yeah. Um, but right now it's just like normalizing the experiences. And so thanks for sharing that. And, no problem. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I feel a little bit scattered about it too. But like I said, I'm still kind of figuring out how 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 did that make me feel? And do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like you, yeah. sometimes you just have to sit with it for a couple of days and and do that. But um, like I said, it's, it felt like true. I saw him again. So that was a cool. Wow. In a healthy state, yeah. as you're saying, because he was yes. he had so many issues in, in waking Health life. So, issues, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it's, it's cool. And I look forward to hearing more about um, your thoughts after you process it. But, you know, what are the odds of having a dream ever for the podcast? It's cool. So, there you <laughs> go. All right. So moving forward to our guests. So today we have on Daniela Gersick. Uh, she is a children's author and registered early childhood educator with the Hamilton Wentworth Catholic District School Board. After graduating with honors as an early childhood educator, Daniela has enjoyed a rich career working with children both in the childcare setting and within the elementary school setting for nearly 10 years. Many of these experiences, as well as personal experiences of loss and grief, coupled with her love of writing, led her to begin her journey as a writer. She has published her first book entitled Deep Down Inside in 2016, which marked the beginning of her wellness series of children's books, supporting children emotionally, socially, and mentally. Her second book entitled Lucky Stars just came out in 2017, and she is currently working on her third book. So I'm really excited to talk to her and to, to speak on children and some of the emotions that they go through just in, in life in general. Uh, so... I actually, what's really cool about Daniela is I actually was just, she comes from uh, Ontario, Canada, and her book was in a, just a chapters bookstore, and it was like on one of those shelves, you know, that you actually see stuff on. And I just walked by, picked it up, it was on loss, and then, you know, looked at the images and stuff, it was really cool, looked in the back, realized she was from Canada, and I always love, you know, supporting local artists and stuff and here we have we have her on like so this is really exciting to actually get to talk to you know uh this author so daniela how are you doing today very good thank you that's good all right so um the first thing like you have a lot of different things and i know i want to talk about your books because you know you've done so much in that area but first i'm really curious on what got you started into becoming a early childhood educator? Was it something that you know you, your parents wanted, or is it something that you're just heart or set on as you move forward in life? Um, well, for me, I just I always had an interest in children, and I was interested in supporting them in many ways. And early childhood education just seemed like it encompassed so many um, areas of development and so many ways to help children. So in day-to-day -day task and teaching self-help skills 
and also just overall learning. So for me, that seemed like the right place to start my career. So um, yeah, so that's where I, I started and why I started. Was there another path when you were younger that maybe you wanted to be? Like For a ballerina wanted- or like a firefighter? Like, was there something that you were looking forward to and like your plans changed to, towards that? Um, well, I was always interested in actually becoming a police officer. That was another interest of mine. So rescue, any type of assistance, Psychology was another area that I was really interested in. And for me, choosing the specific path was difficult because I had so many interests. And so I was trying to find and writing, of course, that started very young. So, um, yeah, so trying to narrow it down and make the final choice of what to continue with with schooling and what path to take as a career. I, I have found that over the years, just doing one thing was never enough. Like I've always wanted to sort of delve into other things as well. Um, so I've, I've tried a number of things, but um, childcare was really important to me. Anything with children was important. And so I kind of put, because I'm sort of a petite person, I thought maybe becoming a police officer wasn't quite the right avenue for me. But in terms of, like I said, rescue and just being helpful in some way was important to me. So I sort of pushed that to the side and went with early childhood education. So That's amazing. It showcases something about who you are as an individual. And I think that's, you know, like we tend to, there's so many different things you can do with that idea of wanting to help people. And there's so many different jobs and opportunities that you have. Like for me, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, And then, you know, like I tried to go, I was going to go the elementary school teacher way. And then, you know, things changed. My father died. And then I led, I'm led more now teaching about grief dreams and stuff. And so it's interesting, just teaching has always been a big point of my life and helping others like you. Just like, it's funny how life can take us to different directions to find that sweet spot for us to use our talents. Yes, and it's actually interesting that you say that you had a bit of a change in your career because of the death of your father. My father passed away young, and it was a shock to our family, and that actually helped to inspire my first book because that was so devastating to my children and to my nephews and my mother and just my closest family that that really helped to shape where I wanted to begin my writing journey because I knew I would do it eventually and at some point in my life, but I didn't know until I wrote the first book, um, what exactly I wanted to write about and how to make that decision. That was a very difficult decision because mm-hmm. I'm interested, like I said, in so many things. To hone in and choose one topic was difficult. But when I lost my father and my grandfather, who was like a second father to me, um, and two very special dogs in our family, it made me realize that, you know, I think there's a real need for children some type of support for children to um, to go to, that there needs to be something, some type of a tool like a book that they can navigate through, discuss with a loved one and help them through that. Because I could see, and even with my students, my students have shared many experiences of loss with me. So I thought, you know, for my first book, I want it to be more than entertaining. I want it to be profound and meaningful and helpful in some way. So, yeah. So that's sort of what led me to and inspired me to begin my writing journey with that topic. Was and there's I got so many questions on that, but I want you 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 just touched on that uh, the writing, and so this was your first book. But when did you get into writing? You said you were writing when you were very young. 
Well, it was more for my own personal pleasure than it was, that, you know, it was never a public thing. I didn't enter competitions or anything like that. I wasn't really aware of things that were maybe more prevalent now um, for young people. But for me, it was just, it started really in school, just any type of literacy task. I was very thorough in my writing, very detailed, and it just sort of came with a lot of ease. I didn't have to put a whole lot of work into it. It just sort of flowed out of me, and I just I took, I just gained a lot of pleasure from that. It was really enjoyable for me to write in any way. So it was it really for my young life. It was just about me writing for me, and then um, as life unfolded between schooling and then I got a job and then I got married and started my family. It just didn't, it seemed like the timing wasn't right to take this on professionally. It needed to be, you know, I think timing, I'm a firm believer that timing matters in life. And I just, I wasn't ready when I was, you know, much younger. But now that my children are a bit older and a little bit more independent, I feel like I have time to devote to this. And I feel, I don't know, I guess mature enough to take it on. To, to delve into it and, and expose myself a little bit. I think sometimes when you're young, you sort of, you know, it's hard to open yourself up to criticism from the world. It's not easy to put yourself out there and your ideas out there and receive that feedback. So I think now I'm at a, a point where, not that I, it doesn't bother me, but I just, I'm, I'm doing it with such good intention that, you know, I have seen the response that I've received, so I'm ready to take that on. And time, I have more physical time to devote to it. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's beautiful. No, uh, it's amazing how you're saying timing matters. And I think we forget that. You know, there's so many things. Um, when I look back even in my life, like the timing just has to be perfect for some of the stuff to just go through the way it does. And it allows you to surrender a little bit to timing rather than trying to push things and so I like, I like that. And I like how, you know, when you're ready, you're ready and you decide to write your, your first book. And so I guess you, you touched on your, your grief a little bit, you know, in the sense of who you lost. I think it'd be a good time to actually talk about that because that influenced your writing on what you wrote about with your own grief. And you said you had kids, so also their, their grief. So can you a little talk about maybe which one was the first loss? I know you had a father, the dogs and a grandfather. Can you talk about your first loss? My first loss was my grandfather. I was very close with him growing up. Um, and he was actually my first storyteller. He had the best stories. So we would hold hands and he would tell me these imaginative, crazy, wild stories. And for a European grandfather, that's really not really heard of, but he was very special in that way. So that was a very special time for me growing up. And um, he actually passed away a year before I got married. And it was very important for, for him to be, for me, for him to be there. And yeah, so that was very, very difficult for me to get through. That was my first, um, I want to say, significant loss in my life. Mm-hmm. And it really, again, a big devastation to our family. And even though he was a little bit older, he was, he was 80 years old. So, I mean, you think, you know, you've had a rich life, a long life, that it shouldn't really, not that it shouldn't affect you as much. You should take pleasure in that and, you know, appreciate that. But it was very, very difficult for me. So that, it started there. And then um, my father was very young. Apparently he was sick and we didn't see a lot of the signs. Um, so when he passed away, I had my first child who was two and I was pregnant with my second. So that was a very, very difficult time because it was a huge shock. We really, to see him, you would never have guessed that he was near death. So that turned very quickly. 
And so that was very, very difficult for my two-year-old because she was inseparable with him. And she was very, very close with him. And even though she was two, she was just very adept and just very aware of the situation. And I think because it was such a great shock, we I don't think we handled it in the best way um, in terms of helping her to cope with it because I think we were struggling with coping. And we it happened so quickly that literally he was home and then he had passed away. So it was so fast that... I think I left her sort of kind of working through it herself, which I regret. But, you know, looking back, I think we handled it the best way we could at the time. And that was a big teaching moment for me. That made me realize, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not the only parent who, you know, is suffering a loss and suffering with their own issue with it, that they can't always, not that they can't support their children, but I think it's a struggle to sort of deal with your own emotions and attend to your child too, and do everything right for them. So that was another strong reason why I thought, you know, a good, solid, colorful, you know, entertaining book, but something that is helpful. I think parents sometimes that are grieving need, they need some help with it. They need a a way, a path to open up discussion. And I think discussing the emotions and helping your child to you know, talk about how they're feeling and help them to understand it and move forward. It's one thing to feel it, but it's another to dwell and stay in that extremely sad place. It's important to know how to move on in a positive way. So that's why I thought writing the book the way that I did was important because it's not about dealing with the loss as it's happening. It's coping with the aftermath of a death. So what do you do after it's happened and you have all these sad feelings? What happens next? What do you do next to support your child or children if, you know, they're not sure what to do? So, so yeah. So, and then with our dogs, my first big loss with my dog was um, my husband surprised me a first year of marriage with this puppy and he was the best dog ever. He was adorable. He was a big you know, cuddly bear to me. He was just very, very, I was very close with him. He was a very well-trained dog. And he developed diabetes and he became very sick. So he, we needed to put him down. And that was very, very difficult for me. It's taken me years to get another dog and move on with it. So I think for me too, writing this book was almost therapeutic because it helped me to realize that it is important to cherish our loved ones that have passed, but move on. That's a very healthy way to grow and change and, and accept. Thing, you know, death, death is inevitable and it's, it is part of life and we have to learn how to cope in a positive way. So, and then the other dog was the next big devastation to us because that dog was particularly close with my father. So she was sort of our last tie, I want to say to him, we are very sentimental people, so when she became ill, it was very difficult to make the decision to put her down, which, of course, under the advisement of a vet, but they, you know, she was just, she was older, and she was in pain, and we knew it was right, but it's a very hard decision to decide to do that. It, it's, you know, it's a change, it's a, I know, I know it was the best thing to do, but it is a difficult decision to make when you're in that situation. So again, by that point, my both of my daughters had grown older and of course close to that dog. 
and my nephews who were very close with, they became very close with that dog. And we often, the, the kids still talk about that dog very often. So we've now gone on to, to, get, to, to, um, to have new pets, and we've shown them that the love needs to still continue with new pets and new people in our lives, new friendships, new family relationships. But, but the pain, I think, still, it's there. I think it's there with you. So, so that's sort of the sequence of, of my grief journey, I guess, and how, you know, the very pivotal moments for me um, with loss. Wow, that's a lot of loss. Mm-hmm. And quite a journey. And I really um, relate to the, I relate to all of it, but I really relate to the, you know, the dog situation too. Losing a pet is really hard and very different from, I talk about this a lot, but very different from human loss, I think. It's like a different yeah. kind of loss. And when you say like you're sentimental and, and all the ties and like you just highlight all the times in your life that that dog was with you and it's a very different journey. But losing a pet, I think a lot of times people undermine that as well and not to take away from human loss, but it's just... The people that I talk to and I know from my own journey, losing a pet is just very difficult. Can I ask what the dog's names were? Yes. Um, the first dog that I mentioned, his name was Max. Yes. And the second dog was Maggie. Maggie and Max. And they were wonderful. And they were actually the same breed, cockapoos. But Aww. my Max was very, I think he was the runt of the litter. So he was very small, shorter legs more Cocker Spaniel looking in his fur, um, whereas Maggie was more poodle looking. So she had these tall, long, you know, and the poodle nose, and she was just right. very, very sweet. Yeah, but just they looked very different, but very, um, but the same breed, and they were both just wonderful dogs. They brought a lot of joy and love to our lives, and it was, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit. <clears throat> oh, that's okay. It sounds like it sounds like you had a, a really profound connection with um, the animals, and it also sounds like they comforted you in the with the loss of your grandfather. Like it yes. helped you get through that moment. So to lose that, like you said, you you know you felt was the was the last tie. It's interesting how all those things are you know connected and and um, keep the kind of memory alive or keep it going. Hmm. And I also I also you know just wanted to comment. I think it's important to. You mentioned something about keeping the love alive and shifting, you know, allowing yourself to become resilient in the giving and receiving of love, um, to keep the memory alive of those that we've lost, but at the same time, don't shut off your heart and close your heart. Like, keep keep it going to new friends and new pets, and all those things are so important because I think it, love never dies, and we have to keep offering that and receiving that in order to keep thriving. And that's not always the easiest thing. And I think a lot of times, too, people mistake that continuation of giving, you know, the giving and receiving uh, of love as they feel like, oh, I don't want to dishonor the person that I lost or I don't want to take away from that. So I think, too, just highlighting, you know, that we have the ability to to honor and and understand that nobody's going to take the people, dog or human or grandfather, father, no one's going to take their place and no one should ever have the opportunity to even, but at the same time, um, allow us to keep moving forward in the same breath. Because I talk to a lot of people too in my practice, or I, I just held a, um, a workshop on love after loss, 
and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people there were saying, you know, no one will ever replace my husband or, or whoever it was that I, lo- I lost. And, you know, my response to them is always, you know, and no one should be able to. But we're not looking to replace the person. We're just looking to be able to, to move forward and keep that heart space open in whatever way is most comfortable to the, to the individual. And it's interesting, too, that you mentioned about replacing because when I finally was able to take the step to entertain the idea of even getting another dog, I felt a great deal of guilt. I felt like I was replacing Max, and then I, I did. I felt that was one of the most emotional experiences of my life. And honestly, I never, I didn't think it was going to affect me that much because I think on some level I did bury some of those feelings. I dealt with it. I helped my children through it. You know, I cried privately away from my kids, a little bit with them, a little bit privately. And and then I just put it out of my mind. And I made the decision that I could not have another pet. I just, I, I my heart was just too broken and I couldn't, I couldn't do that again. But then when my children, which actually was, I applaud them because they came to me and said, you know, mom, we're, we're never going to forget Max, but look at all the love he brought to our home. So it was actually my children that brought that, that to my attention. And that I thought, you know, I'm doing them a great disservice if I don't entertain what they're saying. They're telling me that they've healed and that they love him, but they're ready. They're ready for a new experience and they're ready to move on. So I thought I have to deal with my own issues of loss so that I can support them. So, but the the amount of tears of both joy and guilt when we got our new puppy, who is now my little angel, Phoebe, she, you know, she's has, she's brought the love and life back into our home. So really it was a positive decision, but a very heartfelt and difficult decision for me. So I'm glad I did it for everyone, for my whole family, but it was difficult. It was very difficult. I hear all that, every word of it, for sure. Amazing. So Phoebe is your new pet. Yes, Phoebe <laughs> is my new little angel. Well, and I think it's it's cool, too, that your kids were able to express to you, like you said, they're they're expressing to you, like, we love the dog, but, you know, we're ready to push forward. And so that's kind of just cool in itself for them to be able to speak on that. And I get the feelings of feeling, you know, guilty, but then I also, like, imagine Max and Maggie saying to you, like, it's okay to love another pup, you know, like, let's, uh, you know, our job is done, let somebody else come in and, you know, keep the love story going between family and, and pet, which is, it's a truly amazing connection, and um, just filled with so much unconditional love and companionship, and, um it's so cool. I'm a complete like animal crazed person, so I just like can't live without my dog and I, I love every dog I meet and I just think uh it's really profound. Animals have really helped me through some um uh, really hard times in my life and have been really steadfast when it comes to friendship, I would call it. So yeah. Well it's definitely taught me. I'm glad I took that, that plunge and I did 
support my children in getting Phoebe because really she has opened my heart up again, I have to say. So I'm I'm glad because I think it's sort of a piece of my heart, I think, sort of died with Max. And I think this is good because now it's taught me to also move forward and, and to, you know, I think of him often. He's part of regular discussions. Like, you know, he's going to remain with us forever. So it's it's powerful to to keep memories alive and keep your loved ones, pets, special things in your life going and as part of our lives on a regular basis, but to also embrace new relationships and new pets and and I'm I'm so happy for it because she does bring an unconditional love to my life that I think I was missing for a long time after Max. So it's been a really good good positive change in in our household so we're lucky Amazing. i want to actually actually touch on to the the you said the guilt and stuff um i've i've heard say i did some research with uh, pet loss dreams and people have told me uh, that they have these dreams but the deceased pet will sometimes even tell them that it's okay to um, get another dog, you know, and I think that's it's such a beautiful moment in the dream because it helps them to move forward. And I think people just need to realize that it takes time to process it. But there's so many things that you're trying to work on, and said like that guilt is one of them. With I, I can only imagine with a ton of people as they move forward. So I'm glad your kids were beacons of light for you to you know make the next shift in your own uh, journey. And so I want to mention, I want to actually now talk about your books. Since uh, so deep down inside, this is your the first book with all that loss. You made this story. Can you tell us a little about the story and maybe what's in there that kids and and also parents can sort of learn from? Sure. Um, deep down inside, um, basically centers around the emotions that a child would feel um, deep down inside when they're dealing with loss or great change. Um, and many people as well, over the many book signing events that I've had over the past few years, a lot of parents, grandparents, um, social service workers, teachers, lots of people have come to me during those events, and they've shared that they're either, you know, death is around the corner for them, whether it be a relative, one family who I will never forget. There were several people very close to this one child. Uh, It was grandparents that were raising the child and a young mom, and they were all sick and on the verge of either great disease for a a great length of time or death. Um, And so really they wanted to, they needed something to help deal with that and help this child have a path of success through this and see that as difficult as the situation is going to be, that there is a way to cope with it and, and move on positively. So deep down inside, basically, like I said, deals with those emotions and it takes you on the journey of a little girl named Rebecca who has just lost her dog and she's basically lost in sadness and she does not know what to do. She's, you know, full of grief and feeling lost in her life. And throughout the story, you see that she has different experiences. One main experience that is the introduction of a new beginning. So she's faced with a decision in the in the story. She must either she decide she has to decide whether she's going to embrace the new beginning or stay lost in sorrow. So um, it's through the story and different adventures and um, again, like I said, the use of color and different things within the story that keeps a lighthearted feel with a really difficult subject. 
and, and so through the story, she has to make that decision. And she also displays um, ways to rely on, on supports and loved ones, which is the mom in the story, that she has her as a support and she uses that. You know, she learns how to talk about how she feels and how to um, rely on her mother to help her through the situation and make the best decision for her. So she ends up deciding that, yes, you know, she will embrace the change. And with that ability to embrace the change um, and the new beginning, she forms a really great friendship. And she learns how to cherish her dog that she missed, that were misses and loved, and how to take those memories and keep them in her heart, but move on in a positive way. So Deep Down Inside is all about positive change. And like I said, with the book signing events and meeting different people, some people who are also experiencing divorce or any type of great change, maybe a friend that's moving away, Deep Down Inside can be extended to support or be used as a tool for parents, caregivers, teachers, um, to help support children to do that so that they learn how to use their language, how to talk about how they're feeling, and then take those emotions and transform them into something positive. So it's about empowering children. It's about letting them know that they are strong little individuals who are capable of asking for help when they need it, when they need it make positive choices, and be successful in their lives. Find happiness as an ultimate goal. So as a result, a few school boards have actually purchased Deep Down Inside to use with students for um, different social um, supports, whether it be to teach them about language and um, helping them with social skills. Some have used it for um, ESL teachers, English as a Second Language teachers. They've used it for Syrian refugees who have come over and they're coming from devastation, death, loss, and they have to begin a new life and they have to learn how to set positive paths so that ultimately they're finding success and happiness. So um, so yeah, deep down inside has become a lot more than I thought it would ever be. And for people to you know, speak with me and reach, let me know during book signing events how much a book like this is needed has really meant a lot to me because really as a first book, it's very courageous of me to put out a topic like this. Most people want something lighthearted and entertaining, but for me, I think there's enough entertainment in the world. And I think what we need too is to realize that children, for some reason, and I can see this in my work with my own children, with extended family, the needs are growing at such a high level that they need support. They need simple tools that they can use to help them be successful. I, I think there's a real shift in what children need today and what they're faced with. Wow, that's amazing. I'm glad it's going so well for you and schools are using it. You know, that's got to just mean so much to you. I know just, you know, when you have any kind of creative project, the first couple, you know, months, you're wanting to know, are people going to take this? Are people going to like this? And are, is it going to do anything to help anyone? And I'm glad you're seeing it has legs and it's it's helping people. And that's your whole goal. And to be able to write a book for children, to be able to do that, to help both the parents and the uh, the child, I think it's remarkable. So, you know, I hope you're like really proud of that. And I'm guessing that's why you decided to do another book. So can you take us to the second book? So you, you had all the success with the first one. What made you want to do the second one? 
Well, the first one made me realize that I really wanted to do more in the area of wellness. And then I, like I said, because with my with my work with the school board, I see the needs that are there. And it's not just there, it's even between friends and family and other people that are experiencing so much. And because Deep Down Inside was received so well, I thought, you know, I think I'm on to something that people need. This is something that, you know, I'm hearing that feedback, that it's something that is being welcomed. So I really wanted to take, because Deep Down Inside ends on a very positive um, note, and that basically it's about positive um, strategies, positive coping skills. It's just about feeling good, um, that I wanted Lucky Stars to reflect that and sort of extend that story. So it is the same main character from Deep Down Inside, but with the introduction of some other important characters. Um, but Lucky Stars is all about um, being grateful. It's all about a, a mindfulness of gratitude. So in taking that, you know, coming from a difficult place, making some good decisions, finding happiness again, and now carrying that through into a new adventure. So um, Lucky Stars begins with the main character, Rebecca, actually awakening from a very interesting dream where she hears a series of different um, uh, phrases, and those phrases lead her through the rest of the story um, with imaginative play and different adventures. And in those adventures, the reader is exposed to examples of kindness. So either Rebecca and her new friend Bobby, they are or her best friend Bobby, they are um, either witness to kindness or they're active participants in being kind. And then in the final adventure, they have, they've made some really big realizations about being grateful about the goodness in their own lives. So it's all about just really spreading a whole lot of kindness and love all around you and doing it in a very selfless way. So Lucky Stars is, you know, like I said, an extension of, of Deep Down Inside, but a totally different storyline. So yeah, I'm... I'm really happy about both books, and with my third one, I want to choose another avenue of uh, within um, the emotional and social development of children and different social issues that they deal with, and really explore that and put out a whole other storyline of of ways that they're dealing of things, ways to deal with issues that they're dealing with at this time. That's amazing! Wow, it's just it's pretty cool, and I'm I'm so like the second book uh, I haven't got a chance to read yet, but uh, I love the message about being grateful because I think that's something that you know we talk about in the podcast a lot, and it's something what people realize you know after grief too is just being grateful for the time you have with people and to make those moments more special as you move forward. So cool i'm I'm really excited to 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 see all the stuff you're doing and the messages um, that you're you're trying to sort of promote. I have one question because, you know, I, I wrote uh, the Dreaming of Owl book um, and this is a kid's book too. But the uh, choosing character names is interesting. So how did you get Rebecca as the character name? Rebecca was something that for some reason, and I, I believe in signs in, and I believe the universe brings us different signs of different things that are important at the time that we need it. And at the time that I started writing Deep Down Inside, everywhere I turned, I just, Rebecca was a big name for some reason. I, I saw it everywhere. And it was just, to me, I, I couldn't pinpoint the name that I wanted to use. But then I started picking up on different things. And anywhere I went, like even if it was in a store, the person helping me 
was named Rebecca. It was everywhere that I looked, I saw Rebecca. So I thought, this is a sign. This means something to me. And because I had two daughters, um, there was no possible way that I could choose, even if I wanted to incorporate my children more into my work, I did not, I could not choose one over the other. So to me, it had to be a fresh name with meaning, but meaning that was separate from them. And like I said, I just, for some reason, I saw this everywhere. And that was my only missing piece at the time that I wrote Deep Down Inside. So I thought, no, that's, that's the missing piece. So it's right in front of me. And it just, again, it, to me, it's almost relevant to everything that I've spoken about today because it, it's about seeing something or being aware of what's around you, whether it be in your dreams, conscious, um, in your life, timing, things matter. And all those little things add up to something that's bigger and more important than um, maybe something that you're furiously trying to create. So that was a big sign for me, and I grabbed hold of it, and that's what I did. That is so so cool, so amazing. I really love that, and um, that's the way I live too. Like I would have, I would have been interpreted that chain of events in the exact same way. And so it's cool that you have that degree of awareness and that you're open to the mystery and you're, you're, you're open to chit-chat with the universe and that you believe that things are sent to you. And so for you to just see that and feel like, yep, that's the na- all the coolest things happen in that way, I think. So you just, you know, you, you came to a place where you, you understood and you knew that that was going to be the name and you, and you went for it. And help is, help is often there, there when we need it or support. It's like I always when I'm having conversations with people, I always say like a lot of times the the answers or where to go next is kind of right there. You just have to really take a look and be a little bit inquisitive. So very yeah. cool story. I like well, it. Well, that's <laughs> even like if you look on the cover of Deep Down Inside, I have two butterflies that are yeah. um, that are there, and they're very significant because after my father passed away, everywhere we looked we saw butterflies and it was just, it was one particular butterfly that just kept surrounding myself, my sister, my mother. And we just, for some reason, it just made us instantly feel relieved and it almost felt like a presence. And I just actually had a vacation with my family over the March break. And as soon as we arrived, my mother was with us as well. And my mother and I were just the two of us at that time. We arrived and there was a beautiful butterfly that circled us. And we just instantly, hi, Dad. And it was just so nice because it just instantly, I don't know. I don't know how that keeps happening, but it did right after that. And same with my grandfather. So when I wrote Deep Down Inside, I thought, you know, there's certain really important phrases, visual things that I want to see within the book. And so I added the two butterflies to represent my father and my grandfather. And, And when I had my first book signing, I had a mom and her daughter, and they approached my table, and we were talking, and they said, oh, look, butterflies. Butterflies are like angels that take our, um, our heart's wishes to heaven. So it just, it just felt right to have yes. included that. Well, and like a personal, mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful personal touch on the thing, and something that you have in your heart forever, and then you know it's kind of like a, a way to continuing bond. You know, it's like to maintain those those continued bonds, and at the same time, it's like a personal kind of touch, you know, a connection, something you can share with your, your children as they get older. Every time you look at that book or anybody in your family looks at that book, it's a reminder. And like other people who 
who aren't in your immediate circle might not know that, that that's what the butterflies need or whatever, but it's kind of just a a cool little sentiment that, mm-hmm. that you have. And for those and, people and, to connect to it, I just thought that was Yeah, is even beautiful. better. Yeah. And my first few sure. signings, I just, I don't, it was some of the most curious times that people would come up and I needed to have a Kleenex box at almost every signing because I would either become teary or the people that were coming to me were sharing such heartfelt stories about their loss or sickness that they were experiencing. One lady had come to me and she said, you know, I saw your promotional postcard in a few places. I saw you in the newspaper. I saw you in different, and I saw the pictures and then I saw it a fourth time and I thought, this is a sign I need to come and meet you. And she said, this is the first time since my chemo treatments that I've been outside of my house. So, you know, I needed to come in and see you. So she bought a book. I personalized it for her. And it was just so touching. So she cried. I cried. It was just, so I've had some really, that alone at the very beginning of my journey with writing, I thought, okay, people are either going to hate this or they're going to embrace it. And when I had that response, I just thought, wow. You know, this goes far beyond what money can be made from this or where this ends up taking me. But if I've done nothing from this but touch someone's heart, then I've succeeded. I've succeeded in much more than I ever had planned to do. So Absolutely. And I really connect with that too. Like I remember, like I I wrote a, well, I've written a couple books, but I wrote a, a, a really super candid book. I talk about it in the third episode of this podcast actually, but I wrote a super candid book about like, my life journey as well and I had the same the same notion like if one person reads this and feels like I feel less alone or I don't feel crazy or I I don't feel shameful then I feel like you know beyond like money or or anything that comes of this that was my my same feeling and I've definitely had that and it's it's the best it's the best because you just feel like you know there's more of you and it's like you know, there's people that you don't even know are on your team that are on your team. And it's like you, it's just, it's the most amazing feeling. So, so cool. I love this. I love the stories about you connecting with other people uh, on their own grief journey in all these very magnificent and what seems to me kind of, you know, divine timing. And it's just, it's amazing. It really makes me wonder what else is at play? It's really beautiful. Thank you. You know, it has been beautiful. I've been very, very fortunate. And I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for these people. I'm I'm so glad that I've been able to help in some way. And I just, the amount of that feeling from them, that they're coming to me feeling as overwhelmed with their own, whether it be grief or, or just emotions at large, the fact that they're coming to me and sharing it, I'm just... I feel blessed. I feel very, very blessed to be able to connect with people that in a way that I don't think I ever in any other way could have ever achieved. So I'm, I feel very lucky. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Hence, lucky stars. I'm very thankful. I thank my lucky stars often. So we talked a little bit about, just to kind of shift gears here as we're starting to come to a close, and I just wanted to touch a little bit about dreams have you ever had a dream of your of your grandfather or your father yes i have but would um, you like to share one sure but my dreams of either one of them they're never together in my dreams it's always separate 
the first time I dreamt of either one of them felt very bittersweet to me. Like it was just, it was so, I felt so happy to see them. It felt like I was visiting with them. And my dreams are also very vivid. It's like you're watching a movie if you could see my dreams. They're very, very detailed, very colorful. Like there's just a lot happening. Even if I awaken from a dream and then fall back to sleep, it's like I've pressed pause and I'm just continuing with the dream. It's, it's actually a blessing and a curse because sometimes I don't want that much detail. I would prefer solid sleep without overwhelming dreams, but then sometimes it's amazing. Like I've woken up sobbing because I don't want to say goodbye again because I, I've seen my father in a dream, but he's always at a distance. He's happy, but I can't get close to him. It's almost reflective um, of life that, you know, I think about him, I know he's with us all the time, but I can't physically talk to him. I can't physically reach out to him. And that's what my dreams look like. And they're just, you know, or if I'm very, very upset about something in life, if something is troubling me, he'll appear in my dream. And it's almost like a comfort. Like he's, I think, reminding me that he's, he's here and it's going to be okay. But I'm always so sad when I wake up because I know that's it. I won't physically see him anymore. So, yeah, so it's, it, they're, I, I welcome them, but then sometimes I don't because sometimes I've had dreams where it's like almost every night I'll dream of him and then I'll sort of say out loud, you know, Dad, what are you trying to tell me here? Like, do you want me to come visit you? What, you know, what, what's the message here? And it's never always, well, it's not really clear to me what the message is, but once I've said that, it's like an area of my life calms in some way and then it stops for a while. So, and the same with my grandfather, it's the same thing. I'll dream of him and I can see him and he's so happy. And, you know, I think it's a way of, of comforting me to show me that they are fine, but it's just, it's upsetting because I want more than that. I want more than just the dream, but the reality is I just can't have that yet. So. Wow. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. I'm glad they're healthy, right? Um, but yeah, like, don't we just want to like continue that relationship forever, right? It's just that's not how life works, you know. And that's the process of grief, and and that's why I think people, as much as you know, said you you may want more of this or to be able to spend more time. Um, it's amazing you had those dreams because there's a you know a bunch of people that have never had one of these dreams, and so their last memories of their deceased loved one is in the in the coffin or sick. So it's it's amazing you had these positive dreams where you got to see them um, happy and healthy again. Did you have you ever had any dreams of your dogs? Yes, and normally they're with my dad. Oh, so it's it's actually like they're really. That's why I don't want to wake up. Like I want to continue the dream because they look like they're having so much fun together, which is great. <laughs> but you're like, oh my you people. Know, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I feel like it's like a snapshot of what's happening in heaven. Like that's what it makes me feel like. Like they're showing me, but I can't obviously get to them. And it's just, I wake up and I'm like, oh, like it's, you know, it's finished, you know, and I wait. And even if I wish before I go to sleep, it doesn't matter. Like it's only going to come to me when they want to come to me. But yeah, so it's it's nice, but it's also, you know, disappointing when I wake up. That makes sense. So, I, yeah. So for you, 
because we always ask people if they could have any dream, what would it, what what would that be? And I guess you've kind of in a roundabout way already described something. So your perfect, if you could conjure up any dream, your perfect ideal dream tonight, what? Just kind of reflect on that for us. What would that look like to you? Well, I would like to see myself more in the dream, my children there, my mom, my sister. I I would like to see my closest family, my grandmother who misses my grandfather so much. I would like to see, if I could see a picture of all of us at a family meal, like we just, with all the food and all together, I would like to see everyone together because I've never had that. So I would like that. If I could wish for something, I would like to see what it would look like and what my children would be able to. That's what upsets me the most, that they missed everything with my father. So, yeah, I'd like to see my children have more time. That's beautiful. I think, you know, you're a loving mom and you want the best for your kids and you want your kids to experience the love that you received from your father and from your grandfather and so wow like i uh you know i feel for you and and having lost someone so valuable to you in how you perceive the world but looking at this dream i am curious because i i like to picture people's dreams so everyone's around the table um food's being passed around are is your new dog there with your two deceased dogs yeah i think that would be great (laughs) (laughs) because my sister has gone on to now she has a very large rottweiler and he is like a big 200 pound teddy bear like he is a huge (laughs) dog but it's like his spirit is a small dog because he will try to sit on your lap and meanwhile his paws are like bigger than my feet so and he's adorable he's like a bucket of love but he is just so massive in size but he loves the kids like he embodies the spirit of our dogs that have passed like same with my phoebe she's little but um she just she's has the same energy as max like it's almost like his spirit is in her so it's just it's so nice so i would love to see how all the dogs would come together i know maggie would not like anybody she only liked us like my my mother my father my sister and, me, and myself she did not want other people. She was very territorial. She liked us. So I would be interested to see what she would be like with the other dogs because even my Max wanted to play with her and she was just, no, nope, I don't want to play with anybody. She just, she liked who she liked. She was friendly, but she just almost a little princess-like. She just liked who she liked. So it would be really fun to see. And I picture an outdoor, almost like a barbecue an outdoor setting, big long table because we have a big, very big family and just everyone together. All the dogs, all of us all together. I like that. And what would the uh, the, the big meal be? Like, so what's the, what's the, like the center? Well, we would have to have pasta because mm-hmm. we're of Italian background. So we would have to have pasta. So that would have to be, and that was my father's favorite. So that was always part of every meal. So there would have to be a few courses. So it would have to be pasta, a meat of some kind, whether it be steak or lamb or something, um, something like that. And then a few side dishes of, um, you know, potatoes and salad and vegetables, maybe corn on the cob, homemade wine. You're yeah. making me hungry. Bread. I was just going to say, bread. I'm, I'm, I was just going to say, I'm crying because I'm so touched by your thing and now I'm hungry. So I'm hungry <laughs> and I'm crying. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you cry. Um, but yeah, that's what I would love to see. A really nice big table full of food and, and everyone together. So beautiful. So cool. And brings up my own stuff about kids and meeting, spending time with grandparents and just shifting through that whole idea that, you know, because my grandma passed away too and just thinking my daughter will never get to meet her like here. I'll never have a picture with them together or anything like that. Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. And I think that's a real absence for my children. Like they just, they don't have... And I think what bothers me the most, it's because I was so close with my grandfather. Like, I remember being in high school and I would come home. And really, in high school, you're a teenager, you want to be with your friends, you know. But I would come in, I would sit with him after school, hold his hand, and we would talk. And again, for a European grandfather, that's usually not the way. But he was just really special like that. So I have so many wonderful memories. And I'm really sad for my children. I just, I really wanted that for them and then when my father passed away you know they were robbed of that they just they don't have they'll never have that you know and that shaped me as a person that really shaped who I've become and I feel like you can't really fill that gap or fill that void it's just it's I know they don't really know what they're missing but I know what they're missing and I try to incorporate some of the things that my grandfather shared with me or that my dad did with me but it's always a story. And it's, stories are wonderful. That's how you keep your loved ones alive and part of your life. But I really wish they had some real experiences that they could take with them for the rest of their lives. So needless to say, I do a lot of things for them that I hope will be similar to what I've experienced in my life. Thank you for sharing all that. I really... Um enjoyed everything you shared today and just being so authentic and just really moved by your story. You have a very beautiful spirit and I can't wait to to uh to get your your books and um give them a read and yeah. So just thank you. Thank you for all that. Really, thank really great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And so as we're wrapping up the show is, where can people find these books? Do you have a website? Any other kind of social media contacts people can reach out to to find you? Yeah, I um I have a website. It's uh, www.daniellagersick.ca. Um and that list um my website is pretty extensive and it lists all of the different stores that carry my books, Indigo Coles, chapters in various locations in Stony Creek, Hamilton, Burlington and St. Catharines. Um and also online, chapters Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, I also have an ebook for Lucky Stars for the second book. I wanted to try something a little different platform, so ebook is available on Google Books and on Kindle. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn, so um, that's a way to connect with me as well. And even within my website, I really encourage children to reach out to me. Um, so if they are, if they've written something, or if they've drawn something, or they want to share um, an idea from either my story, any of my book, or a story that they have that they would like to share, I have a kids corner on my website. So I really want to, you know, promote literacy in a whole, in a very well-rounded way. So not just about reading, but also comprehension and print. So if once they've read something or if they've created something of their own, I want to post what they've 
what they've done. So you'll find on my website many different things, any book presentations that I've done um, at various schools, all of my book signing events. I have an events page, so that tells you all about where I'll be and my book signing events coming up soon, and also my fundraising efforts that I'm trying to, hopefully I can conjure up a a really great uh, donation through my book events this spring um, for McMaster Children's Hospital in Hamilton. So I'm trying to do that, and then I'm going to be um, appearing at um, the McMaster Children's Hospital Miracle Plane Pull event on June 3rd. Um, So there's some information on my website about that as well. So hopefully people can come, they can either participate as a team, or they can come on out, and I'm signing copies there. And then, of course, uh, a portion of my sales will be donated to the hospital as well from that event and then all my other book events this spring. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, listeners, please go check out our website and you know, grab a book and, and see. Um, see if it touches you and if it can help you and, and your kids through you know, their difficult times that they may be going through. So yes, thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode again. And you never know what people are going to share and how they move through their journey and so, you know, I really appreciate, you know, who you are as a person and taking the steps and getting the courage to make these books. Uh, this is a lot about who you are as an individual to be able to pursue some of your dreams uh, in the face of tragedy. So thank you for that. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this. This has been wonderful. And it's been a pleasure talking to both of you. All right. And so we're just going to wrap up with our stuff now. Jade. Yes. Where can people find your stuff? I know you're, you mentioned in the last podcast that you are a new blogger. So can you talk about that and also where they can find your stuff? Sure. Um, I've recently started um, writing for, it's called Fraser Valley Lifestyle Magazine. And so they're, they're a lifestyle blogging magazine. So I'm a contributing writer for them. So I'm doing some semi-regular posts for them just on all different lifestyle type stuff. Yeah, so their website, you can just Google uh, Fraser Valley Lifestyle Magazine. There'll also be a link on the Grief Dreams, or um, the name of the magazine is on, is on the griefdreams.ca um, bio under my name, so you could uh, find the inf- information there. Um, and then I'm at Jade Carlin Coaching on Instagram. You can meet me there if you want to chat or send me a message, if you have any feedback. I also have a Facebook page, which I'm a little less active on. I tend to... Um, like Instagram as a platform a little bit more and connect with more people there. So that's an easier way to find me. And then uh, my website is jadecarlincoaching.com. And yeah, that's everything. Beautiful. I'm happy you're able to come on today. Um, Sean couldn't make it. So I think it's just amazing uh, you're able to be on here. And it seems to always touch your heart. So I love actually seeing that and, and hearing the questions that you have, Jade. So thank you for coming on today. And then for Thank our stuff, so oh, no problem. <laughs> and for our stuff, please check out griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. Um, as I mentioned before, I have two uh, presentations coming up in Ontario, and so the first one's in Kitchener, Ontario, on April thirtieth at seven p.m. and it's titled "The Ten Things I Learned About Grief Dreams." And so this is a free public talk. It's uh, brought on, it's, it's sponsored by the Brief Families of Ontario, Midwestern region. So come out there if you're around. And then I have another full day workshop in Kitchener, Ontario called Exploring Grief Dreams. And you can find a lot of details on uh, the website, on our website. 
but the really cool thing here is that uh, it's a full day. I've never done a full day before. And so I got new exercises for people. And there is a fee. So it's $155, but it, there's reduced fees for people who have limited, limited income. So just email me and we'll just work out a rate that works for you. You know, as long as like lunch is paid for, you know, like it's 20 bucks for lunch. Um, then we just see what works for you because I want everyone to come. And then also uh, I just got news that the workshop is actually accredited now. Um, so you get 5.5 continuing education credits from the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. So we have that. And we also have certificates too. Uh, I know a lot of people need those if they have, they're submitting for continuing edu quick education credits. So that's really exciting for me. It's probably my last um, probably uh, public talks until I finish in December. So the next time you probably be able to see me would be in January around here uh, in Ontario. So after that, so please check me out. Uh, say hi if you, if you come in or, or send me an email if you want to come. So our other stuff is for our Facebook. You can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. You can check us out on Instagram or on Twitter at Grief Dreams. And as we always like to say, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.